You're listening to Radio Looks Lucid. I'm your host, Steve Matthews. Thanks for joining me today for episode 27. Today I have a special guest with me, Alan Wall. Alan, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much, Steve. It's a great uh, opportunity to be on your show here. And it's a great honor to have you here for me. You know, Alan, I've it's kind of funny I'm talking to you here today for the first time, but I've followed your work for years. I almost feel like I know you a little bit just from, from having read so much of your work uh, over the years. I've been reading you since you were doing the Memo from Mexico column. And, oh, right. Yeah. yeah, that goes back a ways, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that goes back a ways. And, you know, I've, I've long thought that you're one of the very finest writers out there on the subject of immigration. And you wrote a piece a couple weeks ago that was posted on vdare.com. And we're going to get, and we're going to, we're going to talk about that in a minute. That piece just really knocked me out. And I said, well, I've got to get Alan Wall on the line here. So I really thank you so much for joining me here today. But, you know, before we dive into talking about your article in particular, I wanted you to give a a little sense of your background to the listeners, because I think it's a very interesting background. And I think it, it, Maybe give some context to um, to uh, why you're such a an effective writer on the subject of immigration. Well, yes, I, I the main thing I, I guess I want to emphasize is that that I lived in Mexico for many years, uh, a decade and a half. I was working there as an English teacher, and so I I lived in the society. You know, I was not a tourist. I lived there. I I spoke the language. Uh, I uh, followed the media, and I, you know, I worked in Mexican schools. I attended Mexican churches, and I associated with, you know, people of different social levels. I was able to visit different parts of the country, and my wife is Mexican. I, I met my wife there, and we were married, and and so, you know, I also have Mexican in-laws. So, I, uh, ten years ago, we had the opportunity to move to the United States for a particular job opportunity that was convenient for us so uh, I brought my family here and but we frequently visit Mexico I like to go there uh, every year and I like to keep up with what's going on and I you know I love the people I love the society and I'm I'm very comfortable there okay sure here and and I know one of the the features that you you write quite a bit is I think it's called said in Spanish am I correct about that Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because of course, being fluent in Spanish, and you're you're familiar with the uh, the Mexican media. You know, it's, I think that's a great service for people who are interested in in immigration, because most of us don't have access to that the way that you do, and I think that's a very helpful uh, service that you provide. Um, one thing I did want to ask you too, Alan, is what is it that got you you interested in writing about immigration? Well, really, the answer to that question is related to the first question, uh, living in Mexico. It was a real education because I was able to see immigration from the other side. Now, in the United States, there's this very romanticized vision of immigration. You know, it isn't wonderful. They all want to come here. They, they're looking for freedom. You know, they want to become Americans. And uh, Americans feel a sort of pride that, that people would want to live in their country. And, uh, but when I lived in Mexico, you know, it, it gradually dawned on me, you know, that's not how the people here see it in Mexico. Because obviously many Mexicans express the desire to move to the United States. But I never heard them say they were looking for freedom. Hmm. And they did not say they were doing it to become Americans. They do it for the money. I, you know, that's totally understandable. They can make more money in the United States. And, but, but here's what's amazing, too. 
even when they become American citizens, they are still regarded as Mexicans. And Mexicans look at Mexican-Americans, even Mexican-Americans who were born in the United States, as essentially Mexicans. And, and we're, we're not talking about a small group of people. We're talking about millions of people. Right. And, it, and then I saw how the whole society in Mexico supports illegal immigration. And, they, and, and I saw how the government is meddling in our political system. You know, uh, all this hysteria about Russian meddling. Let's suppose – I don't really believe all that stuff, but let's suppose it's all true. It is almost nothing compared to what Mexico is doing because what Mexico is doing is utilizing dual citizens to meddle in our politics. You know, in the 2016 election, they, they did that. Yeah. It's, it's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, Alan, I think that, that you're saying that that's probably the first time a lot of people are hearing this. Exactly, because it used to be Mexico did not permit dual citizenship. Yeah. If a, a Mexican became an American citizen, he's not a Mexican. In the 1990s, they changed it specifically to meddle in the United States, and yet none of our politicians seem to care about that. It's, it's just amazing. Um, that is amazing. You're absolutely right. So yeah, I, I can definitely see why, you know, what you said and, and, and having lived in Mexico and seen things from the other side, you know, that that would, would certainly be a strong impetus to begin, you know, writing and maybe perhaps educating and correcting some of the, uh, uh, the fallacies that, that many Americans have about, about immigration and in particular, you know, immigration from Mexico. That's right. And, uh, you know, and I think, uh, other Latin Americas, uh, other Latin American countries, you have, you have similar ideas too, though. You know, and now we have it. It's mostly Central America is sending these immigrants, but but I see in, in those countries kind of some similar uh, dynamics in the society also, as the governments are, you know, tacitly encouraging their people to leave rather than solve the problems in their own country. Sure. Sure. Okay. Well, Alan, yeah, turning um, to the, the article that you wrote, this was a, an article that was published back on uh, just a couple weeks ago, back on December 26th on VDARE. And the, the title of your piece is Memo from Middle America, St. William Salatin says, White evangelical Trump supporters are unchristian. How would he know? And the, the article that you wrote about, as, as the title of your critique suggests, the article that you were writing about is a piece by a gentleman named William Salatin. And I think I'm saying his name correctly. Is, is, does that sound right to you, Salatin? I, I've, I, believe, I believe you're correct. I've never really heard it pronounced, but I just assumed that that's how you pronounce it. Right. I tried so to we'll find, go with that. Yeah, okay. Because I tried <laughs> to find something on the internet the other day, and I, I couldn't find anything that, that gave me any guide to that. So I thought, well, that sounds about right. So I'm going to go with Salatin. Um, but William Salatin, he is, uh, he's a writer for Slate Magazine. And uh, and, and the title of his piece, this is the, petite, the piece you critiqued, is called Trump's Christian Apologists are Unchristian. And maybe what I wanted to start out with, Alan, is just asking you, you know, most evangelicals probably don't read William Salatin. Most evangelicals probably don't read <laughs> Slate. So why should evangelicals really care what Slate and what William Salatin have to say? Well, yes, from a a spiritual standpoint, we don't care. In other words, it's not a source we would go to for spiritual sustenance. But in order to be informed about what is out there, that's why you know I thought it was worth looking over the article because here this 
individual who is not even a Christian of any sort, you know, does not claim to be a Christian, here he is holding forth and explaining who is a good Christian and who is not a good Christian. Wow, you know, who appointed him the authority to do that? And and what a coincidence, too. A good Christian for William Salatin is somebody who is against President Trump. Wow, what a coincidence. Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and you know, I, I think you said in, in your critique of the article. I mean, you called it a uh, a fiery uh, article, I believe. And and boy, that's uh, that certainly is true. He really, uh, you know, Salton, he really unloads on on evangelicals with both barrels, as we would say. Oh yes, yes. Yeah, they calls them wicked. Yeah, and purveyors of wickedness. You know. Yeah, I, I think he did that twice. He called them wicked or or something like that. I think he used that term right, twice right. in his article. It was it was really pretty uh, shocking. You don't really expect to hear language like that maybe out of Slate so much, but I, I guess in, in this right. case, <laughs> I guess on the subject of immigration, it really uh, really brings out the, uh, uh, the the hellfire and brimstone in them or something. I don't know. Um, now, one of the things that that you pointed out. In your article, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, individuals you refer to as Soros evangelicals, uh, such as, for instance, Russell Moore. Could you expand on what you mean by that? Well, Russell Moore, he, he's one example of this type of person. He's a high-ranking bureaucrat in the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, head of the so-called Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. And, of course, he's a big booster of amnesty for illegal aliens. And but but what is really okay? Some people are for that. I understand. But what is really bothersome is he makes it a a Christian doctrine issue. In other words, he says if you're not for illegal aliens, you're a bad Christian. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not for the demographic transformation of this country, et cetera, you're a bad Christian. So actually, he's very you could call him legalistic. If you don't agree with him, you're not a good Christian. You know, that's, that's the way he presents it. Yeah. It's, it's pretty shocking to read some of the statements he's made over the year. I did a, been doing a little bit of research on the, uh, the evangelical immigration table, uh, for example. And of course I know that he has been, I don't know if he currently is, but I know that he has been associated with the evangelical immigration table and some of the statements that he makes, you know, if, if you, I don't know if, if you, cut and pasted his statements on to say, you know, the website of the Open Society found, uh, Foundation or something, um, it wouldn't be out of place at all because he does sound just like George Soros or, or you know, somebody that supports George Soros. Uh, exactly. And, and there's a reason, you know, as uh, many have pointed out that uh, Russell Moore and, and some of these other groups, uh, they're getting George Soros money. You know, yeah, it might, Pass through several different organizations, but this money is being funneled to elitist evangelicals supporting amnesty, mass immigration. So, and you got to ask yourself, hey, why is George Soros, you know, an atheist globalist billionaire? He wants to erase borders and construct a sort of new global order like the Tower of Babel. Hey, why is he giving money to these uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to evangelical Christians who? support open borders it's kind of curious isn't you, it? you you might want to ask that question yeah yeah exactly and i think that's certainly cause to be wary of uh, of men such as russell moore and uh moving on in the in salatin's article uh he uh, 
actually quotes at some length a gentleman by the name of Ed Stetzer, uh, who's identified as the director of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College. Uh, and he uses the words of Ed Stetzer really to, to castigate, uh, in particular, white evangelicals for their support of Trump and, and border control. And, you know, apart from the influence of George Soros, why is it did you think that so many evangelical leaders are really so bad on the subject of immigration? Well, you know, that that's a good question. I, I got a few theories, but I, I'm, it's probably a combination. I guess part of it is our, you know, our whole society has moved to the left, including, you know, the academic world, the military, and all our elite institutions, and the church leaders, too, some of them, you know. They've been influenced by this left-wing sound bites and pop psychology and, and all these, these sort of uh, emotional you know, answers and, and little uh, easy answers that when you break them down, they really don't make that much sense. And we might even speculate that they like the worldly acclaim that they receive from the mainstream media. And essentially what these people are doing, Ed Stetzer, for example, he is bashing, you know, middle American, white evangelical, middle class evangelical Protestants. He's bashing them, you know, in, in a secular venue. Right, yeah. That's pretty amazing, the way he does it, yeah. Yeah, you said that, in fact, you, you cited this in your article. You know, you talked about the fact that uh, he appeared on both NPR and on Vox, and I think what well, one on the one on one day, one on the next day, or within a very short <laughs> yeah. time frame. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you know. So. And, and they love doing that. Yeah, they, they, they find people like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, of course, I know, and maybe you mentioned this in your article, too, of course, uh, Russell Moore, you know, he he has written, I believe, several uh, editorials for the New York Times. Oh yes, he's their go-to evangelical. You know, they don't really like evangelicals, but if they can find a guy like Russell Moore, they'll they'll play him up. Yeah, yeah, he's he's useful to their cause. Now, why did, I wanted to ask you your opinion on this. Do you think that evangelicals, just I'm talking about the rank and file, ordinary evangelicals in the pews. Do you think that they're aware of the extent to which their spokesmen are at odds with their own views on immigration? I would say that probably not. You know, most uh, rank-and-file evangelicals, they, they probably aren't even aware of most of this kind of elitist, uh, bureaucratic-type stuff. Like like even in, like the Southern Baptist Convention, it's really uh, – the churches are autonomous, you know, the individual congregations are autonomous, but they have this, this overarching bureaucracy, which is actually seems to be more liberal than the uh, rank and file church members. I've suggested in a previous article, they ought to just disband the whole uh, denomination because the, the, the property of the local churches already belongs to the local churches. Okay. They don't really need that bureaucracy. Okay, sure. And, and Alan, if I may ask you this, are, are you uh, do you belong to the Southern Baptist Church, or are you with some other church? Uh, yeah, I'm not actually in the Southern Baptist Church, but I've I've always respected them. I don't know they're they're very active in in mm -hmm. you know large parts of the country, and uh, but but I'm sorry to see people like uh, Russell Moore representing them yeah. and and denigrating you know the rank and file members like he does. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it's you know it's it's sad how much. The, uh, the sort of the political situation, if you can call it that, in, in, in the Southern Baptist Church mirrors what goes on in, 
in society broadly, unfortunately. I mean, you would expect exactly. You know, you, you yeah. would yeah, you you would hope that that people in a position of leadership in the churches um, would behave toward the people that support them um, in a more supportive way. But unfortunately, that just doesn't yes, seem to yes, be the case. Yeah, doesn't work that way all the time. Yeah, no, no, it doesn't. Unfortunately. Now, I want to move on to another point here that you brought up in your your article. Uh, Salatin, when he in, in his writing, he he noted uh, that surveys in surveys of religious voters that uh, the numbers for evangelicals were quote bad, and and by bad he meant that evangelicals strongly supported <laughs> Donald Trump. And I just wanted to get yeah. your perspective on those poll numbers. I think it might be a little different than Salatin's. Yeah, well. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I, when he says it's bad, I would think, well, that, that sounds pretty good. You know, he say, oh, it's terrible. 81% support Trump. I said, wow, that's great. Well, maybe we could try <laughs> to lift that up a little bit, but uh, it, it's kind of funny, you know, the, the way that works. Yeah, yeah. he, Yeah, I mean, and, and of course, the uh, the assumptions that are contained in that, you know, the uh, – um, it's almost a sort of a begging of the question, you know. He he says they're bad. Well, why is it bad? He doesn't really explain why it's bad, other than just to say, I guess he disagrees with it. Yeah, that's the bottom line. That is really the bottom line. Yeah, yeah. Now, another question here for you: um, Do you think that as Salatin charges that? Uh, well, he 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 when he's talking about um, evangelicals, he calls them white evangelical Protestants or WEPs, I guess. And, yeah, I think he invented that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so when when Salatin uh, charges that WEPs have compromised their moral principles by supporting Trump and retreated from moral judgment of him, what what would you say to that? Well, you know, I I can only speak for myself, but I, I don't. Uh... I don't approve. Uh, we know that Donald Trump is not perfect. I mean, we knew that already. I don't approve of anything that he's done that that is not that is not moral or not good. But that's not really the issue here, is it? I mean, really, uh, in politics, we have to choose between imperfect, you know, candidates. And and think about in a 2016 election, really, uh, you got to look at the whole agenda. And and how could you even compare? the Hillary agenda and the Trump agenda. Right. And, and, and religious freedom, which is a big issue for us, you know, wow, there's, there's no contest there either. Right. Exactly. And I have to admit, you know, it took me a while to come around to supporting Donald Trump because I, I wrestled with some of those issues. And well, of course. Yeah. There's a lot there. Yeah. There's a lot there to wrestle with. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and I think sometimes when, you know, Salatin makes this blanket charge that, you know, evangelicals have retreated from moral judgment of him, somehow he seems to say, well, oh, yeah, you know, evangelicals, they approve of every single thing he's ever said or every single thing he's ever done. And I think you and I would both say, well, yeah, there are some things that he said and done that, you know, I wish he had not said or done. And and I don't have well, to defend course, all of those yeah. things. You know, we don't, we don't have to defend all of those things. But I think on certain big issues— for instance, immigration, since we're talking about that, I think that he was a whole lot closer to uh, to being where, you know, where as a Christian, I would want him to be as compared to any of the other candidates that were running. Oh, yes, yes. And, and even, you know, the, the libertarian candidate, uh, some people saw him as a viable alternative. Gary Johnson... I call him the so-called libertarian candidate because he's against freedom of association. Yeah. He would punish cake bakers who didn't want to participate in gay weddings. 
what kind of a libertarian is that? Uh, yeah, that's your status libertarian there. Which is, yeah, yeah. That's not a libertarian <laughs> at all, really. I, I don't see how you can, can reconcile that, that type of thinking with libertarianism at all. But uh, apparently he, he was able to square that circle somehow. Yeah, in his own mind, anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, you made it, you brought up, I, th- I think, a really... Um, a, a wonderful point here, and I'm going to uh, to just cite uh, Andrew Salatin. I want to hear your response to this. Uh, at one point, Salatin complained that these white evangelical Protestants have abdicated social responsibility because they lack charity toward poor people. And you replied to to his comment, and, and what you did is you drew an important distinction between Christian charity on the one hand and government welfare on the other hand. I'd like you to explain the difference between these two concepts. Yes, they are totally different because Christian charity is when a Christian, from the love of Christ, gives of his own resources, freely gives, a cheerful giver like the Apostle Paul says, freely gives to help somebody. That is totally different from government welfare, which is a system in which You know, the government takes money from one citizen by force. You know, if you don't believe that, don't pay your taxes next year and gives it to another, well, citizen or maybe even a non-citizen in order to buy their votes and political support. I mean, that is so cynical to identify the two. They are not the same thing at all. Right. And and you're absolutely right. And I think that's an absolutely crucial distinction. And, and thank you for making that. I, I really appreciate the fact that you, you brought that idea to the surface. You know, one of the things that I find that, that when I read uh, immigration comments or, or columns or, or pieces by, especially by evangelicals, they seem to confuse these two ideas. You know, they seem to think yes. that somehow, yes. you know, if if you don't want to to give the whole country away um, uh, via, you know, taxes and subsidies and welfare and such like that, that somehow you're not being charitable. Well, as you said, that's not Christian charity. It has nothing to do with Christian charity. Exactly. And, and in reality, white evangelical Protestants are very generous people. They give a lot of money to help people here and abroad. And it's just it's a slander to say that about them. I, I agree completely. I think that that's, and, and I really think that keeping that distinction between Christian charity and government welfare, that overturns so much of the bad thinking that we see both in the, the, the secular press as, as well as from, you know, religious writers on the subject of immigration. Exactly. Cause they're, they're trying to guilt trip us is what they're doing. Right. Exa- that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. And let's see the uh, yeah you know that's that that's exactly what it is you know they just just lay the guilt on it's 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 amazing. Moving on to uh, another thought here, it, and this probably would surprise no one if 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 someone has followed the uh, the discussions about immigration over the last number of years in the United States, he shouldn't be surprised to, to think that uh, William Salatin says that racism is the reason that white evangelical Protestants are concerned about immigration. And uh, what are your thoughts about that? Well, yeah, that's the typical response. And I, you know, the problem with the term racism is it's a word that is that is almost lost all its meaning. Uh, no one has ever really made a clear definition of the term. And yet you could actually lose your career if you're accused of being a racist. And yet look at the things that many minority 
activists say about white people. And they're never called to account for that. And yet, you know, nowadays the term racism is, is generally used as a as a slur against against white people, or as some people have said, you know, a definition of a racist is a liberal who's losing an argument with a conservative. It's being used, you know, in those ways. Right. So we shouldn't really, I, I really honestly don't, it's hard to take the word seriously anymore. Sure, yeah. And of course, nobody likes to be called that. It's, it's a type of a word that, I mean, it's, it's an awful thing. I mean, we don't want to, you know, as Christians, we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. You know, we're not called to hate right, them. Right. You know, and, and so that, that's not something, you know, it's terrible for, for that to be said about anybody, but maybe especially as a Christian, and I think it maybe scares a lot of evangelicals. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons, I, I'm just speculating here, see what, see what you think about that. But I think it's perhaps one of the reasons why evangelicals have not given a, a clear, unequivocal response to some of the the immigration nonsense that's not only out there just in the secular press, but that's also put out by a lot of people as uh, representative Christian thought on immigration. Oh, no doubt about it. Uh, there's a great fear of being called a racist, and uh, be, and it's used so unfairly that uh, you know people are afraid to be called a racist. But really. Uh, they're probably going to call us that anyway, so we just need to think about and do what's right, you know, and not and not uh, be driven by that fear anymore. Sure, sure, yeah. Well, Alan, that really kind of covered all the the main points that I wanted to go over on your article. Did you have any other comments that uh, that you're interested in, in making here today? Well, I mean, I would just say uh, we shouldn't Christians should not let people like William Salatin or Ed Stetzer or wrestle more, you know, guilt trip us. And, you know, if we, if I would say, if you want to help poor folks in Latin America, help them in their own country. You know, that's the Christian thing to do. For one thing, your dollar goes further in those countries. And you can help them in their own society, in their own culture, in their own communities. That's real Christian charity. Not trying to move, you know, thousands of people across thousands of miles, you know, like this, all this caravan stuff. You know, right. that, that is not Christian charity. Right, right. I, I concur completely. Well, Alan, where can listeners find your work on the Internet? Well, I have a, I have a website called alanwall.info. Now, my name is spelled A-L-L-A-N-W-A-L-L dot, and it, it's kind of a, it's not calm, or it's not org, it's info, I-N-F-O. So www.allenwall.info. Okay, outstanding. Well, Alan, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on the program today. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. On behalf of everyone at Thorn Crown Ministries, this is Steve Matthews saying thank you very much for listening. I really hope that you join me again for our next podcast. Until then, may the spirit of truth guide you in all truth as you read and study God's Word. Thank you.